welcome to another episode of Sage Cigarettes Presents, A Ghost in the Magazine. I'm Steph, your co-hostess with the mostest, doing something super out of character and impromptu for this podcast today. So here we are, fresh off our second annual 31 Days of Horror Challenge and back to our regularly scheduled shenanigans, but with one noticeable difference. I know I said that I was going to have a guest host for every episode in November, but alas, sometimes things just don't work out and it just be like that. So for this episode, I'm on my lonesome, but that's okay. Maybe it'll be even scarier this way since I'm all alone and the call's coming from inside the house. Insert ominous thunderstorm sounds here. (laughs) Before we jump into it though, I want to take a moment to mention our other platform. I always introduce this podcast as Sage Cigarettes Presents, because Sage Cigarettes Magazine was my first baby. I used to mention it a lot at the beginning of the podcast and we've sort of veered off uh, a year later, but I just want to re-mention it. Um, This podcast is just a byproduct of all that creative energy and the same lovely, hilarious people who join me here every week work really hard with me on the magazine. It's an online-based literary arts publication that has been going strong for the past two years In 2022, though, we're going to take it in a new direction, and I just hope that everyone who has loved it in the past will continue to do so. This podcast, though, will remain the same raunchy, horror-loving romp that it's always been, and we only hope to have even more guests joining us in the new year. Now, let's get into it. This week's movie was Sinister. Sinister stars Ethan Hawke as an easily obsessed true crime writer by the name of Ellison Oswald. What a name, right? Ellison's a husband to a long-suffering wife, he's a detached father to two children, and he dishonestly moves them all from a house they loved into a house where a family was brutally murdered and one of their children went missing. Um, It's (laughs) the subject of his next book, and that's literally how the movie starts, with Super 8 footage of this family with hoods over their heads and nooses around their necks being slowly lifted into this giant tree until they die. Gut-wrenching. Gruesome. Horrific. Um, it's really hard to watch. Uh, I guess it probably comes with the territory, but Ellison tends to make enemies with local law enforcement everywhere he goes, and this town is no different. The sheriff quickly comes in, introduces himself, and lets Ellison know exactly what he thinks of him which doesn't seem to sway him either way. We're also introduced to Deputy So-and-So, as he's lovingly referred to, who becomes a pivotal cog in Ellison's true crime machine. But fucking also, he's played by the same guy who plays grown-up Eddie Kasprak in It Chapter 2. And I've only seen Sinister once or twice, and even though it's really good, and it's stuck in my mind for some really tor- like terrifying reasons i just didn't recognize his face when i saw it uh anyways ellison hears some classic spooky nighttime sounds in his attic and he goes to investigate and he finds a box that has an old projector in it and super 8 footage reels that are labeled a lot like innocuous standard grade home movies these end up being recordings of ritualistic family murders. Like the, I mean, including the one that you see at the beginning of the family who used to live in Ellison's house. And I'm not going to describe these scenes because they're kind of the worst, like super disturbing and just creepy and terrible. And the scariest part is this 
recurring occult symbol. And, I mean, plus the terrifying hidden images of Mr. Boogie. Um, so, like, the lid, he discovers it at some point, but the lid of the box has children's drawings of each murder scene, and it plays out, or it points out everywhere that Mr. Boogie is standing um, while the murders are taking place. So Deputy So-and-so refers Ellison to an occult professor who can immediately, just by the descriptions, pinpoint the symbol. He knows the murders. Um, Ellison had gotten Deputy So-and-so to track them down just by this is what happened and he knew the place. So he just, he needed to get um, the addresses and all that information so that he could start drawing a map. Um, But this professor just instantly knew what he was talking about. So (sighs) the symbol is a calling card for an ancient deity that I refer to as Gabagool. If you've listened to this podcast at length, then you know I don't like to tempt fate and say any entity names on air or I mean just in general um, just in fucking case. And considering how Gabagool likes to get down, I feel like it's especially necessary for this episode. You can judge me if you want to. That's totally fine. I'll take it. But that's just how I like to get down. So these murders are like sort of an initiation, right? For, um, you know, getting in good with, uh, Gabagool, who will have a child murder their entire family, um, and then they'll steal the child in question to consume their soul slowly, like sort of saving it as a snack for later. Yuck. Uh, then I guess they become ghosts to sort of guide the next child to do Gabagool's bidding. It's it's all haunted and gross and terrible. So to keep a long story short, or I should say from getting any longer, Professor Oculto says that the images of Gabagool are what allows him to possess the children. And they're also a gateway from him to enter from the spiritual world into the mortal world. So, you know, there's this series of events. There are some symbols that this professor tells Ellison about. I believe it was a scorpion, a snake, and a dog. Like maybe it was a specific dog, but all of these things show up in Ellison's home. So it's sort of like marking. I'm trying to think of what that reminds me of. Um, I can't remember. I just had the movie in my mind, but he, they killed a scorpion, um, in the house pretty early on. Then when he discovers the drawings on the lid, there's also a snake there. Also, I forgot to mention that his son has night terrors. He hasn't had them since he was a child. Then they move into this fucking house and he's having night terrors again. They find him like, coming out of a box like a cardboard box after they just moved in like reverse bridge uh exorcist style so spooky but when he saw the final symbol the dog he found his son outside in the bushes being scary as fuck and then the dog was there um so you know all of these things are happening and he's had enough. So he moves his family back to their original home. (laughs) 
So Deputy So-and-so discovers that the chain of events that lead to total familial destruction are only jump-started once the family moves to a new location. Because surprise, every murdered family has lived where the previous murdered family lived. Did I, did I say that right? I think so. All of this is discovered much, much too late because after Ellison moves and cancels his book, like, finally, a man in a horror movie does what the fuck his wife suggests that he does, he ignores deputy so-and-so's calls. Now, me personally, I mean, I'm just a little old me, but if I'm involved with a police officer in a spooky story like this, I'm going to answer the phone calls. And he does, eventually. However, by that point, it's just too late. He's already moved. So unfortunately, his daughter poisons them all, chops them up with an axe, and runs off into the nightosphere with Gabagool. Fucking Basura. Okay, so this movie's a lot. <laughs> but I'm only here to tell you that it's also a whole work of art. Horror movies that put children in the driving seat are a particular circle of hell for me. They're just extra fucking scary. Do I think that the violence against the children could just fucking go away? Yes, I do. But ultimately, it is what it is. It irritates the same fear sensors in me as Children of the Corn does, only to the 10th degree. There's just something so sinister, if you will, about a tiny human who is viewed as vulnerable and innocent being your demise like no thank you um so yeah and what i find most interesting about this movie is that it was inspired by a nightmare that one of the co-writers had about the movie the ring and that's hilarious because that movie isn't nearly as frightening like it's not even in the same playing field as sinister but it just goes to show you art can come out of anything um, for extra credit, I did watch Sinister 2, but that one is less scary to me and more just overwhelmingly tragic because of the underlying, like, child and domestic abuse that is in this family, and nobody wants to watch that. So, um, since I'm alone this time, I think we'll just pass on covering that one. Not to say it won't be on a future episode. We shall see. So, Next week, you can meet me back here, and I will definitely have company this time. Next week's movie is going to be Children of the Corn, mostly because I think it'll be interesting to do like a comparison between the two movies, but also because it's a fucking bop. So you can follow this podcast on Twitter at GITM Podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Witch X Pudding. Okay, bye.